and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, coming at you from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. I'm excited for the segments we have lined up today. It is the second episode of my podcast, so thank you so much for joining me. Very excited. Now, our first segment today is going to be all about how to walk your dog. Then we're going to have a client story about a dog with some severe anxiety issues and how we approached and dealt with that. Our Breed of the Week segment, a Q&A segment, and for the first time, we're going to have our guest spot segment today with uh, Mark and Jess Grassi that will be joining me, two of my clients, and they'll be talking about their dogs, Rico and Penny, and how the training process went for them. So it's going to be a good time, and if you like what you hear, of course, don't forget to click that subscribe button. You can also visit our website, www.speakadogcast.com. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Hope you enjoy. Our next segment on Speak a Dogcast today is how to walk your dog. We first need to understand what is a walk and why is it important. And this goes back to my previous podcast where we talked a little bit about uh, what dogs are. And dogs are domesticated wolves. And wolves are pack migratory animals. So no matter how much we domesticate a dog, at the end of their day, uh, at the end of the day, in the back of their brain, it is a built-in instinctual need to go for a good walk. No matter the size, no matter the breed, daily walks are an absolute must for dogs as an instinctual need. Now, of course, there's a right and a wrong way to do a walk. Now, we're all very familiar with the wrong way. Most people do the wrong way. Uh, What does that look like? Well, it looks like the dog is six feet out in front of the owner, maybe stopping every five to ten feet to sniff and mark on everything, maybe chasing and barking at squirrels, maybe chasing and barking at other dogs. Unfortunately, we've come to think that that kind of behavior is the norm on a walk, when in fact, no, that is the opposite. Just because it's the majority of dogs out there acting like that does not make it the norm and does not make it okay. Um, Unfortunately, we've kind of got a skewed perception on what a dog is and what a walk, what their instinctual needs are supposed to even look like. Okay, so what a walk really does look like, what's the right way? Well, a dog should be beside or behind you, never in front. Most people know that, but maybe don't practice that. Now, a lot of times people go, oh, he's, he's got to be beside me because I got to show I'm the alpha. I got to show I'm in charge. And, you know, in reality, to me, it's much simpler than that. The reason why a dog should be beside or behind you and never out in front is because a dog can only focus on one thing at a time. They literally only have a one-track mind. Any of you have ever seen that Disney movie, Up, you're familiar with Doug, and every time he's talking, and then all of a sudden he gets distracted, and squirrel! That's the essence of a dog brain right there. So, if the dog's out in front of you, well very difficult for them to be able to pay attention to what's going on behind them, i.e. me, right? If I need to be able to redirect their behavior, if I do see a distraction or a trigger coming that I know that dog is reactive to, I've already lost the battle by letting my dog be six feet out in front of me for the simple fact that he cannot focus on two things at one time. So it makes it a lot more difficult for me to be able to regain that focus if he's already out in front of me. So that's the first thing of why it's important that a dog is beside or behind you. That's the first thing we want to know about the right way to do the walk. Um, The other thing is you might see a dog on a walk who is beside their owner, right? What does that look like? Well, that looks like the dog is on a mission, right? It's got its head down, trotting along, ears are relaxed and back, 
tail might be going a little bit, but it's happy. It's not overexcited. Again, dog looks like it's on a mission. It's mentally engaged on that walk. That's what it should look like for you. And really what's going on there is that dog is on a mentally engaged walk because walks are 85% mental and only 15% physical. Okay, now really listen to that. It's 85% mental and only 15% physical. Like I said, the walks are a mental instinctual fulfillment for a dog. So if I'm just physically trying to drain them, I'm not doing anything mentally for them. And if I can get them mentally drained, then they're engaged and then they're much more fulfilled and much happier. And if I take care of that mental side of the walk, the physical side will end up coming with it. Uh, Years ago, I had a client who had a yellow lab and it was very high energy, very high strung. And they said they could take this dog for two hour walks and they'd bring him back and he'd still bounce off the walls. Now, their definition of a walk was a free-for-all, right? This dog would be all over the place, sniffing, sniffing everything, stopping and peeing on it. It was a total, just it was just chaos. I went out and worked this dog for about 20 or 30 minutes using some of my redirections, techniques, and exercises that I do to get a dog on a proper walk. And they called me the next day and said, I don't know what you did, but that dog slept the rest of the day. And simply put, I gave that dog something to do. I gave him mental engagement and mental fulfillment, and the walk is the best, easiest, and most natural way uh, to be able to accomplish that. So that's what a good walk is going to look like, and that's the important thing to take away from that is I've got to get that dog mentally on that walk. Um, So before we go out on the walk, though, it's also important that I understand a couple things. Number one, I need to make sure I have the right tools with me uh, to get a good walk. First tools we want to think about, of course, are our leash and collar. Well, what kind of leash and collar do we need? Look, I'm a fan of keeping it really simple. I (laughs) I like to live by the mantra when it comes to training of K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, It's very true, though. Don't overcomplicate things. And with all the gimmicks and marketing and everything you see in a pet store and the harnesses and the gentle leader and the this and the that, oh, my goodness, it can be overwhelming. And again, live by that mantra of K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. So what do I use? I like to use a plain old six-foot nylon leash, nothing fancy, and I use something called a martingale collar. Now, a martingale collar, uh, easiest way to put it is really it's a modified slip leash. The slip leash is something we have been using on dogs, on livestock, on all kinds of animals as human beings for thousands of years. And the reason why we use the slip leash it works. <laughs> it's that. It works. And that's why I like the Martingale collar is it really is a, a modernized version, just a little bit better of a version of a slip leash. Okay. So I recommend the Martingale collar and a six foot nylon leash. Now, one thing to note about the uh, Martingale collars is sometimes they come with all cloth. I am not a fan of the all cloth Martingale collars. I like the Martingale collars that are kind of one third chain and two thirds cloth nylon. Uh, Reason being is the chain is going to be quicker in its release. It doesn't stick around as long and it's more black and white in me being able to try to give that dog information. So really important. It's a small detail, but a very important detail. I like the martingale collars with the chain on them. Now, the next thing we need to bring with us, of course, it's the one thing that clients love to forget. You've got to have your treat pouch with you. And of course, the treats. Uh, But you have to have a treat pouch. Most people like to take the treats and put them in their pockets. They don't want to be really cool like me and look really awesome and have this really cool treat pouch hanging off their side. And I get it. I get it. Not everybody can pull off that look. Um, But there's a reason why. I don't just wear the treat pouch to look cool. I wear it because it's the correct tool for the job. 
if I've got treats in my pocket and I need to be able to reinforce a dog quickly, and as we've, as I've, I'll, you'll probably hear me mention many a time, uh, timing is crucial when it comes to training animals, crucial. So if I'm fumbling around and I can't get that treat out fast enough to be able to reward that animal, I just lost the chance to reinforce a behavior. The treat pouch makes it a lot easier to get the treat, get it out, and be done with it. I can't have them in my hands either. Dogs are too smart for that. Their noses are too good. They know you got a pile of treats in your hands and they're going to be a little distracted. It's better that the treat comes out, gets to them, disappears. Okay. So treat pouch, very, very important. Now, of course, we also want to have poop bags. Let's not be rude and leave messes in other people's yards. So make sure you got those poop bags with you before you walk out the door. And of course, the most important thing you need to have on the walk, your brain. I highly recommend you bring it with you. It does make the walk a lot easier. And my recommendation is you tune your brain into your dog and yourself and tune the world out around you. I want you to take the walk and utilize it as a time to turn off. We always have our phones, our computers, our emails, our this or that. It's a great time to be able to take an hour out of your day, leave your phone at home, and just be in the moment with your dog. Dogs are very much about living in the moment. So to me, it's that time to connect with them. Don't bring music with you. Don't be distracted by text messages and Facebook. Give your dog one hour of your time a day. And I don't think that's too much to ask. Now that we have all the tools we need for the walk, we are ready to go. Now, of course, we want to make sure again that we're in a good state of mind to walk out that front door and our dog is calm and in a good state of mind as well. Once we go out, don't forget, if your dog starts to get a little uh, crazy or you don't like that he's not engaged or focused, you can always turn right back around, go back inside and try it again and hit that reset button as many times as you need to. And once you're out on the walk, remember to keep a short but loose leash. Now, in order to learn how to get your dog really walking well beside you, I highly recommend getting with a local trainer or behaviorist to learn different exercises and techniques to get you there. And if you're on the Treasure Coast or North Palm Beach County, you're of course going to check out thenatureoftraining.com. Give me a call and I'll show you everything you need to know. But with these few tips that I gave you here, I hope it gets you on the right track toward a good, healthy walk with your dog. So don't forget to keep that in mind. Use redirections and, of course, always bring your treat pouch to be able to reinforce desired behaviors. And you'll be walking your dog in no time. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. You can find more information by checking out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. We're located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast in North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. segment today on Speak a Dogcast. I'm going to do another client story here. 
Uh, now, this client was from, I think, about six or seven years ago, and they had uh, two dogs. Now, the first dog I was actually called in to, to help train was probably about a 70-pound mix of some kind, a couple different things going on, lab shepherds, who knows, uh, quite a mutt. And uh, two owners, husband and a wife, and then they had a second dog. Now, when I was called for the consultation, I was told that the, the bigger dog is very reactive, right? Very reactive toward other dogs on leash, and uh, that was an understatement. This dog would see a dog from a mile away and start reacting and trying to kill it. It was very bad, and not only that, they lived in a downtown high-rise apartment environment. And unfortunately, that kind of environment tends to amplify these types of behaviors. And then we had other variables going into it that just amplified it even more. So it was a very interesting scenario. And when I showed up for the consultation, you know, the first thing I like to look at when I go in is, is, is environmental, right? Is the environment. What environment are they living in and what part does that environment play in some of the potential behavioral issues we're having with this dog? And the first thing I noted is that they were on the, I think, 14th or 15th floor of this high-rise apartment, which the first thing that says to me is, my goodness, how do you take your dog out to pee when it's reactive like that when you live 15 floors up? And that was the first problem they do have. Every time they walk out a door, this apartment building, I mean, I've, I've never seen so many dogs in one high-rise building. It was crazy. It was a dog walking out the elevator every time the elevator door is open. So they have to get in this elevator, go down 15 floors, and hopefully not stop along the way and pick up another dog. Then once they get down to the lobby, it's this long, narrow corridor that they have to walk to get out the front door. Now, when you put a dog on leash, right, uh, we'll talk about this just for a second, fight and flight behavior. Everybody's heard of fight and flight behavior, but we don't really think about it when we leash up a dog. When you leash up a dog, you are taking their ability of flight away, right? They know they're on a leash. And so they're going to tend to want to fight or go toward that uh, line of behavior in that moment. Now, it's not to say a dog is going to go to fight, but hey, if a dog gets overexcited on leash when it sees other dogs, guess what? That's more toward the fight spectrum than it is the flight spectrum, okay? Now, we obviously know we want the dogs to be somewhere in the middle, right? Somewhere in the middle. But this dog being as reactionary as they are, uh, when you leash them up like that, there's uh, pretty much no chance it's going to retreat and try the flight uh, mechanism. Instead, it's going to rely on that fight mechanism. For whatever reason, that dog thinks that works for them. That's what's worked in the past, and they're going to continue to do that, especially especially if I take away flight from them. Okay, so not only do we have that leash on them, we now have a narrow corridor. Anytime the environment becomes more restricted, it's going to amplify any of those behaviors going on. So, of course, this narrow apartment building corridor did nothing but amplify everything. So that's the first thing I notice is, wow, it's going to be difficult for these people just to get their dog outside to relieve itself. Um, so the next thing is, uh, once I get to the door and, and come inside their apartment, I notice there's a second dog that they hadn't told me about. It's a little dog, a little thing, but the dog, that, the big dog and the little dog get along. There's no issues there that they've told me about. Um, everything seems to be okay in regards to that. So I said, okay, we chatted a little bit more. And uh, usually after we talk and I can get some more information, we go a little more in depth. I say, hey, let's go for a walk and see how it goes. Now, obviously, <laughs> a little easier said than done in a situation like this. But we leashed up the dog. We go to go out and the wife scoops up the little dog in her arms and we leave the apartment. Okay. All right. So... 
long story short, we finally get outside the apartment building and I start to take the dog for a walk. Obviously, I'm seeing the behaviors firsthand. This dog's very reactionary, uh, doesn't really want to redirect off of these things. Her whole body language is just very stiff. She's clearly just living her life kind of in this anxious uh, cycle. Almost always looking for trouble is kind of what I call it, right? She's, she's always on edge, always looking over her shoulder. You can just see it. Now, meanwhile, you know, we're spending about 45 minutes walking around this downtown area, going over some things. And this whole time, the wife has been carrying around that little dog. For, for almost an hour now, this dog has been in her arms. Now, look, I'll be honest, guys. I, I am not... <laughs> I don't beat around the bush. People pay me to tell them things they don't want to hear. They don't realize that sometimes, but that's the truth of it. You have a behavioral issue happening with your dog and you don't know how to fix it. So unfortunately, my job is to come in and probably tell you things that you're not doing correctly or things that you're straight up doing wrong. So my job really is to be the bad guy. And what I've discovered over the years is, you know, sugarcoating things or or in a way lying to my clients is not okay and it only does them a disservice. My job is to be truthful and I tell my clients this right off the bat. I might say some things you're not gonna you're not gonna want to hear. You guys are gonna hear me say things on this podcast you're not gonna like. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. I don't care. I don't go into a client's house and judge them. I go into a client's house and tell them the reality of what it is. They want to accept that and hear that, that's on them. If they don't, that's on them. So here's the reality. She uses that dog as an anxious clutch. Carrying around that little dog is like a two-year-old with a blankie. And I looked at her and I said, hey, can I ask you why you're holding your dog like that? And she looks at me with almost disgust on her face and says, well, it's my baby. And I looked at her and I said, you do understand that is a dog. That's not a baby. And she goes, opens the mouth and gasps. (laughs) You would have thought I just hurled the largest insult I could think of at her. And she literally turns away in disgust and storms off back to her apartment building. Doesn't say another word to me. Husband goes right on as if nothing even happened and continued on with me. Now, in that moment, I just learned a lot about them and their relationship, and they don't even realize it. Dog psychology is animal psychology. Animal psychology is, oh, I don't know, human psychology because humans are animals. It all ties in. And when I see we're having behavioral issues with this one dog... And I can see this little dog has got these anxious issues. What we actually have here is two dogs reflecting upon their owners. I have a 70-pound dog who is a direct mirror of the husband, and I have a 10-pound dog who is a direct reflection of the wife. Folks, if you want to know what's going on with yourself internally, take a look at your dog. I always say your dog is a mirror of you may not be what you want to see, but it's always truthful. So this is the tough part about being an animal behavior specialist. I can't fix, well, let me rephrase that. I can train most any dog 
anytime. And I say most because there's always an exception to the rule and I'm human and I'm not perfect. But for, for kind of a, you know, fun way to say it, I can train any dog anywhere, anytime. If I couldn't, you shouldn't hire me. It's getting the people to do it. And unfortunately, in order to get people to train and work with their dogs in a cohesive way, I have to tear down emotional barriers that they have in the way. I've had quite a few clients over the years break down crying in sessions with me because we have to tackle their emotional baggage that's getting in the way of not only working with their dog, but getting in the way of their daily lives. And it is something about my job I, I do truly enjoy. I feel like once we can once we can get people to break that wall down, it's like this this big release. And what's amazing is you can see almost an instant relaxation of the dog once I can get the person there. Now, unfortunately, this couple, I can only help them so far. Because at the end of the day, you can only guide a horse to water. The horse has to want to drink the water. And while I give husband a lot of credit for the amount of work he put in and tried to do, um, it wasn't enough. And the dog, while we made great progress, she, she never got to the point that they could get her to. Now, the good thing is, is that they recognized their limits. And unfortunately, some of the limits with the environment, too. I, I, can't, I can't completely discredit them because a lot of it was that downtown environment for a dog like that. She couldn't, um, she couldn't handle it. And I think maybe she could have one day if we had really buckled down with her training. But we'll never know because the owners never did. It has to be a team effort. It has to be everybody in the household being consistent. And we've talked about consistency and, and how important that is. Um, but again, the, the, the takeaway, the nice takeaway we can you know, walk away from this with is that the owners realized this environment was not good for this dog. And believe it or not, they actually moved. And they found a house and they found a yard and things got a lot better. Is the dog perfect? No. Did the dog's quality of life improve dramatically? Absolutely. Um, and really, that's that's all I can I can hope for is to make a little bit of a difference in each animal's life that I I, I work with. I would love to make the drastic one eighty difference for every animal, but sometimes that's not possible. And sometimes it's not always. You know, this is a tough thing to talk about. It is. It's a tough thing for me to talk about because I think every, most every dog, most every single dog can make that 180 degree turn. I think most every dog is capable of it, but getting the human to do it, that's the hard part. And I can't tell you how many times I, 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 oh, I walk out of house and I'm like, man, we could be doing so much more. Gosh, we just finished our sessions and I just couldn't get through to those people. I just couldn't get them to get off their couch and walk. I just couldn't get them to put 10 minutes in a day with their dog. I just, mm. and that's the part of my job that's tough. When I see a dog I can help that I can't help. So, you know, unfortunately, I've realized in my line of work, I, I can't always make that turnaround difference that I want to make. But, there are countless dogs we have made those breakthroughs with. And, you know, I'm going to have to do a segment on a successful dog because I don't want to leave it all bum and glum. We're going to have to find a happy segment to do as well. But, you know, to me, the takeaway from it is is it, it taught me um, that I can't help everybody. And that's unfortunately okay. 
that is unfortunately okay because what I can do is help the people who want to make a change in their dog's lives, who want to make a change in their life. And those are the clients I really love and that keep me coming back and that make me want to keep doing this day in and day out. So hopefully you guys can be those kind of clients and uh, hopefully you got a little something out of that. Our next segment today on Speak a Dogcast, it's our breed of the week. Now the breed of the week today is the Chihuahua. I have a Chihuahua of my own, little Coco. Coco is roughly about seven or eight years old. We don't know her exact age. She was a rescue. She came to us um, definitely with some behavioral issues and some anxiety. We don't know her full story. But with some consistent training and a lot of exercise, Coco's actually turned into a really healthy, awesome little dog. Now, Chihuahuas are small toy group dogs. They weigh in usually only around six to eight pounds. However, they're really loyal and charming little guys with a big dog attitude. Now, even though they're small in stature, they still do need a lot of consistent training. They can excel at agility and obedience as well as any big dog. And they actually have a lot of stamina. They can go for nice long walks. Uh, Coco actually comes with me and the big dogs, and she'll go for at least an hour-long walk without a problem. Um, A lot of people stop me on the walk and go, how does that chihuahua keep up? And in reality, when you look at what's going on on the walk, the big guy's tail's Boy, they start getting tired and fading, and Coco's tail is still straight up in the air. She's still got tons of energy. When we get back from our walk, the big guys are asleep. Coco's still ready to go for more. So they uh, deceivingly have a lot of energy. So we got to get that energy out in a healthy way. Now, they come in short and long coats, and special care must be taken in cold weather, though, as they are prone to get a little chilly. Now, even though they're small, they are a very hardy breed, and they have only a few health problems. Special attention and care must be taken to their big eyes, of course, and their little hearts. Now, chihuahuas are also known to be prone to uh, something called a patella luxation, which is a slipped patella. A patella in the knee might slip out of place, but it usually pops back in and it doesn't create too much of a problem. Now, chihuahuas can live a long time, uh, anywhere from 14 to 16 years. The origin of the chihuahua can maybe be a little hazy. Uh, Like a lot of breeds, we don't necessarily know all of their history, and especially the chihuahua being as old of a breed as they are, we may not have all the information. Now, one theory is um, some of the first evidence that we see of a chihuahua-like dog is from the Toltec civilization. Carvings dating back to the 9th century depict a dog resembling the chihuahua, a dog with big pointy ears and that little apple head we all know. Now, those dogs are thought to be related to the Central South American dog called the Tachichi. Tachichi is, of course, now an extinct dog, uh, but they're related to the Toltec. Now, when the Aztecs conquered the Toltec, the Tachichi was absorbed into their civilization, with the Aztecs using them in rituals and for all kinds of things. The Aztec did believe that that the Tachichi had mystical powers and would safely guide the souls of the dead to the underworld. After the Spanish conquered the Aztecs in the 1500s, the Tachichi faded into obscurity. Now, another theory is that small dogs from China were brought over to Mexico by Spanish traders, and then they were bred with other small native dogs. Now, regardless of which theory is correct, the Chihuahua that we've come to know today was discovered in the 1850s in the Mexican state of Chihuahua, from which they took their name. The first Chihuahua was registered to the AKC in 1904, But since the 1960s, they have become one of the most popular breeds in the U.S. and continue that popularity through today. In these crazy times we are living in right now, there is only one thing for certain. You gotta eat. And if you gotta eat, you better eat good. 
I know when I'm cooking and eating at home, I want to use only the highest quality ingredients. So I turn to my friend Ken Ko over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. You can check them out too at southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Now they have barbecue sauces, spice rubs, hot sauces, and jellies just to name a few. They also have some of the most delectable beef jerky you will ever taste, and I am a beef jerky fanatic. And don't get me started on just how good those candy jalapenos are, but you better buy them when he has them because he always sells out. That is how good they are. They also have the most authentic and pure olive oils, only made with the good stuff. Now, most olive oils that you get at the grocery store, they're mislabeled and misleading. They're a mixture of different oils. They're not the pure, good olive oil that Ken gets. Now, when you buy from Southern Gourmet Foods, you know you are getting a quality product from a quality guy. Ken knows what he's talking about, and he better. He's been doing it right and doing it right for over 50 years. And the best part? Southern Pride delivers nationwide. That's right, nationwide delivery. So do yourself a favor and make your way over to southernpridegourmetfoods.com. That's right, southernpridegourmetfoods.com, where everything they have is yummy for the tummy. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, we have our very first guest spot segment. We have Mark and Jess Grassi joining us, two of my clients, and they'll be telling us a little bit about how their training process went with their dogs, Rico and Penny. Welcome, guys. How are you today? Good, good. good. Doing good. And I'm sorry I left one out. We also have Owen joining us. And how old is Owen? He will, he will be 11 months tomorrow. 11 months tomorrow. Awesome. And we're having a football-themed first birthday party, right? <laughs> yes. Nice. I love it. Love it. Very cool. And then you guys have two dogs. And uh, tell me a little bit about your dogs. We have uh, Rico and Penny. Rico is a... Puerto Rican stray. What are they called? Cake dogs or something? Pot cakes. Oh, pot, pot, cakes. pot cakes. Yeah, yeah. pot cakes. The island dogs. Yeah. Oh. Sure. So he came off uh, the island right before Hurricane Maria hit, and they brought him to Vero Beach Humane Society. Yes. And that's where we found him. We were pretty set on getting a dog that weekend. <laughs> yes. So we went to like three or four humane societies. Okay. And then we looked at him, and he was like super nervous. And he was really cute. <laughs> and we thought, like, oh, this will be perfect. And then a week later, I went to go pick him up from the Humane Society, brought him home, and he hated Mark. <laughs> that's, that's when it started. <laughs> the day I brought him home, he, uh, yeah, and it's been three, over three years now. And Yes, yeah, so we thought it would get better as he warmed up, but he never did. Yeah, yeah. And that's when we led us to get, that's what led us to get Penny to see if we, the second dog would help comfort him. And Mark wanted a dog that would like him. This time, (laughs) this time we went with a puppy, but we got Penny from Big Dog Ranch. That's right. And I want a puppy to solidify that she would like me. Since Start from a young age. Yeah. And, they grew up having to like him. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Owen. <laughs> and so, um, and so Penny, but Penny loves everybody, right? Yeah, Penny so, loves everybody. yeah, but a little too much, maybe sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. And and tell us, you know, a little bit about the behaviors that Rico was exhibiting and and doing, you know, doing toward you, and you know what what the undesired, what the bad behaviors were. So it started off with him shying away from me and I guess he would kind of low growl at first and then it turned into full blown every time I walked in the door 
howling, barking, growling, hair hair raising on his back of back of his neck. Sure. And uh, doing that little jump thing with his front paws towards where me. Where he jumps up at you in kind of almost uh, almost in a controlling way, right? Yeah, and yeah. that, and sometimes he would try to nip, and that was the worst it got. But it was super aggressive the way he did it. Yeah. Then there was even other things, right? When you guys were just sitting on the couch, and yeah, he would just maybe even for no yeah. reason it seemed turn and start growling at yeah, you. Yeah, wouldn't or... even make a move, and he'd jump up, bark and growl, screaming, yeah, making a ruckus. Yeah, and then things um, maybe started to escalate when you guys had Owen, or was, did it maybe start when you got pregnant? I think when I got pregnant, yeah, it was the both dogs kind of knew that something was going on. Of course, Penny of course. pooped. Almost every day in the house while I was pregnant. Oh, that's fascinating, really. Yeah, it was weird. It was so weird, and he was born. I blocked off the area because it was always the same spot she pooped in, and then um, I blocked the area. And once he was born, she hasn't done it since. I Interesting. Think. I don't yeah, know I what. Peter. No, just could, poop. Could be a little scent marking. <laughs> you know, she knows that. Uh, hey, this is where my pack is. Being a little. Uh, yeah, so That's I talked to the vet about it, and they yeah. said it, she could sense, you know, something Definitely. is changing. Definitely. They, it's, it's, it's smell, I think, most of the time. You know, your hormones change, and they absolutely pick up on that. And, you know, all dogs do is pick up on patterns, right? And even things that we don't think about is, you know, we we're, we're see it to believe it, and for a dog, it's smell it to believe it. And so they really sort of see in a smellscape. And I definitely, I truly believe, especially, you know, it's like I've, I've heard people say that the dog knew they were pregnant before they knew. <laughs> and I, it's, it's, I, it's those hormones changing and the scent and the change in pattern, and they pick up on that change. So that's, that's really interesting. And Rico definitely got more cuddle, cuddlier. Oh, yeah. With, that, with that you, other right? aspect with you. Which yes. is really bad with me. And He's obsessed. obsessed. Uh, he was. <laughs> yeah. He was obsessed there we go. with me. To the point, um, you know, he would just light on my belly. That's um, right. It was cute <laughs> <laughs> until Mark walked in the room, and then yeah. he started freaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, that is that was a huge aspect of his issues. I think is the fact that he was so attached to me and did not like Mark. Yeah. Started and becoming I, protective. Almost. Yeah, we felt yeah. like. A- he thought it felt like he thought it was a competition between me and him for her for my love <laughs> i think rico thinks owen's half dog <laughs> She's like, such a weird joke this is a family show <laughs> that's all right but uh yeah you know um it it, it got, but it was getting to a point, right, where it was it it was becoming a problem with Owen because now Owen was obviously in the picture, and so how did that change things? Um, so we we tried some medication, mm-hmm. and we tried three, four different medications, mm-hmm. and finally I said, listen, you know, I someone mentioned you in one of the groups I'm in and said, I you know. I think you should check this out before you consider rehoming him because that's kind of where we were at. If he didn't change his aggressive behaviors, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if he didn't change his aggressive behaviors, we couldn't have him around the baby. Yeah, he, he showed teeth twice hmm. towards Ellen. Yeah. That's when we finally. And it's safe to say that rehoming is not on our radar anymore. Fantastic. <laughs> um, 
I feel totally more confident in Rico's ability to be around Owen, where two months ago it was nervous, constantly nervous. And we talked to my mom about bringing him to live with her. And then I have a little brother who had a friend over. Rico didn't like that friend. She said, I, I can't bring him into the house. And yeah. I said, well, I get it. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like since he trained with you, it's been, we know how to handle the situations better. You know, I liked I liked what you said in our session the other day. You said, "No, you know how to manage his behavior." Yes, manage. And that's the word I like. You know, um, because when it comes to stuff like this, and it's not to say that Rico is not going to. To me, I'm only seeing the behavior get better. You know, um, but it's one of those things where I think a lot of expectations with a dog like Rico are these instant overnight changes, right? That we might see on TV or something like that. But in reality, it's it's learning how to manage his behavior, learning how to. Um, head off those kinds of behaviors so they don't even occur to begin with you know so that's that kind of management side that i think a lot of people don't see or know about or think about until they're actively in the training and you know even coco who you guys met when you came in i mean you met the other day as well um but you know she's she's a rescue of mine and we're, we're still dealing with some behavioral issues of hers um she's a completely different dog from where we started and managing her behaviors has only made it better and that's kind of just that, that like key word i like to hone in on is learning how to manage behaviors as opposed to let's try to fix it because fixing to me means you know i turn the wrench and boom it's fixed and it's going well it doesn't really work that way some dogs it does hey some dogs do this instant 180 but i wish that was 90 percent of dogs in reality it's like 10 percent of dogs who, who have traumatizing experiences you know who are have severe behavioral issues so i like that you were saying manage the other day it was, it was awesome that's the word i like to use <laughs> yeah that, because so. i feel like he's it's he's never going to be cured he's got trauma yeah it, he, it, it, in time will tell you know some dogs really can can overcome it um but it's it's just going to take some time and managing and like you said two months you know two months and versus three years of practicing a behavior um, and especially trauma, um, just like with a human being, it's 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 harder to come back from something like that. It can take a little more time, but with the right knowledge and tools and everything you guys have now, you know, we can make that progress. So that's awesome. And I feel like it's a lot to do with us too. We have to put in the work. It's Definitely. not like you just drop Rico off after two <laughs> weeks and he's he's he is a different dog. Yeah. But he's not fixed. No. Yeah. cured he's just which he, the boot camp did help motivate us because he came back different way better than when he left I think we made it easier to motivate us to work kind of let, let, let me lay that foundation yeah. for you so you can see the possibility of it and, and a change in him and being able to not only see that but then have that foundation to work with um you know, makes it more possible, mm -hmm. maybe mentally for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it, the two weeks you did more for him than we could have done in three years. Than medication will ever do. Yes. I have to throw that one. Yes. In. <laughs> he is not. He has not been on medication since we started with you. It's fantastic. And I love hearing that. He's awesome. So much better off. You know. That's so great. Yeah. Really cool. Especially when it was almost eighty dollars a month just for medication. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> that was the last medication we tried, and I was like, "Listen, if it works, uh, we we'll just have to put right? it, put, you know, you know yeah, yeah, do what you gotta do." With the price, 
but it wasn't working. Yeah. You know, medi- I, I'm going to do a whole segment on medication in dogs, and for that matter, medication in humans. I mean, psychology is psychology, and to me, at the end of the day, medications, while they can help in certain scenarios, I've only recommended medication for a dog once ever. And actually, I have a segment that I've done on her, um, a dog uh, that, that it was a unique situation. She lived in a high-rise apartment building, and getting her out of there was a mess with this dog and how reactive. And long story short, um, to me, medication is more of a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, yeah, you need a Band-Aid to, to overcome a wound, but it, it can't be the permanent fix. Um, it just, it, it in my experience with humans, with anything, medication only has so much use before the side effects outweigh the good you get out of it. And not only that, I think a lot of these things are, are mental, you know, mental issues that we have to overcome, whether it be dog or person. And putting the medication can sometimes, putting it out, can get in the way, I think, of that process sometimes. So I think it's really great that you guys have, have taken them off of that, and that's awesome. So... I was curious, and I don't even know if I ever asked you guys this. When I took Rico and I had him, how was Penny while uh, while he was gone? I was away with Owen. Oh, that's right. Yes. That's right. So, so it was just daddy and daughter living life to the fullest. <laughs> nice and peaceful. Had a couple beers. Had some yeah, beers. yeah, had some beers Sat with Penny. Um, Watched some football. She was, uh, she was sad at first. Yeah. She was really sad the first day. And she kind of, I guess, got used to it as within like three days. Hmm. She wasn't, well, I guess I was keeping her energetic. Busier. Busier, yeah. Keeping her busier. Yeah, yeah. Because I was free to do whatever I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but, Living uh, like a single guy. Man. Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice two weeks. Besides missing my son <laughs> and my wife. There you go. There you go. Don't forget that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, you know, sometimes, especially Penny's more of that follower, too, so that's why I was kind of curious. You guys are, are in a way, lucky that Penny never decided to follow Rico down too much of the bad road, right? <laughs> Penny is, has remained sweet and innocent, as I kind of see it, you know, goofball. She has compulsive um, licking disorder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're going to, well, you know, maybe we can work with Penny a little more down the road. We definitely had to do a little work with Penny and getting her walk more in shape. Mm-hmm. Um but I think they're both doing phenomenal. They really are. It, it's looking great. So what did you guys think when I brought Rico back? I mean, what was like the first thought? Who is this dog? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, I think also the fact that you're a guy, he before did not like many guys. Mm-hmm. And I said, if someone's going to help him, it's, you know, it's better that he's a guy because yeah. he's going to be stuck around this guy for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I was, I was like, oh my gosh, he's, he's liking a guy. <laughs> what else? Um, yeah, I'm just used to him just barking and growling every time he sees me after not seeing me for 10 minutes. <laughs> so when he came back and he wasn't doing that, and you were correcting him if he even tried to, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah. It was like. That's when we knew it was kind of worth it, doing a whole boot camp. Well, we knew that Just it was going to be thing. worth it no matter what, because if, you know, we paid it, the, the money, and it didn't work, at least we knew we tried. Yeah, yeah. and that's, you have to exhaust all the options, you Definitely know? Definitely our last resort at that point. Yeah. And we were kind of like, if it doesn't work, we tried, and we won't feel terrible 
rehoming him and we take all the proper steps to rehome him but or he comes back and we have the the foundation that we need to help him yeah so it was we were going to be good no matter what and i think that's the way we had to look at it was so you know a lot of the reason you guys are successful with this because i mean that's just it you know I, i jokingly say i can train any dog anywhere anytime i can't you shouldn't hire me um, but it's getting the clients to, to fulfill their end, right? And I think you guys going into this mentally, the way you did, really uh, allowed you to make a change. Um, you guys were realistic about it, which is amazing. And, you know, you were ready to do something. And that alone is, you know, that's, the, that's, I think, 50% of it. Because most people are not ready to do something. They're not ready to change their own behavior to change their dog's behavior. Um, and just... It, people don't think about that changing your mentality is changing your behavior you have to change the way you think before you can change the way you act um and the fact that you guys went in with that awesome thinking is just is is that really speaks to why you guys are having great success with penny and and rico and i'm very excited because i know they're coming to board with me yes. uh what next week a week and a half wherever we're at a, a actually we're about today. a week actually yeah that's right that's right so, they're uh, excited I, i'm pumped <laughs> hey i still have the goal of getting penny exhausted <laughs> penny has <laughs> penny has a lot of energy we went for what about an hour long ish walk uh last weekend for a session and we were uh, downtown Stuart, which is you know not it's by no means downtown Miami, but there's <laughs> there's enough going on that there's um, uh, enough for the dogs to look at and be distracted. And, you know, normally just that mental engagement can exhaust a dog and then along with the physical. Uh, but Penny, by the end, man, her tail is still up in the air. Yeah. I mean, tongue's hanging out, but, you know, you can tell she's she's still got energy to spare. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be my goal when she comes to see how tired I can get her. I'll be needing some pictures. <laughs> oh, definitely. We're definitely going to send you guys some updates. You guys are going to a wedding, right? Yep. Mark's brother is getting married. Nice. Hey, yes. congratulations. Thank you. I think you say that. Isn't that weird, right? Yeah, when people say good. congratulations to you for your brother. But it's, it's, I think you're supposed to say that. Well, I'm going to say it anyway. Congratulations. <laughs> Tell your brother to listen to my podcast because some guy's going to congratulate Dan. him on, uh, <laughs> on getting married. Chawini. Uh, oh, does he? Chawini? Yeah. Odie. Odie, Odie Garfield is their cat. Nice. <laughs> yes. Hey, that's great. I love that. Odie's good, though. She's hard to catch when she gets out. <laughs> she's got to teach her a recall to come back to you. Yeah. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to bring Odie down for training. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> From Philadelphia. <laughs> Why not? Hey, it wouldn't be the first. Look, I've, I've driven all the way up to New Jersey for training and working with somebody's dog, so uh wouldn't be unheard of. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, you know, I'm really glad. Um, I'm really glad everything is is working out so well, and you guys have been putting in the work and time. And um, I'm gonna be nice and not quiz you today. I actually <laughs> threatened. <laughs> I threatened to quiz them on air because. Um, well, for those of you listening, you should listen to my next podcast where I'll have a dog psychology 101 segment. Uh, because that is the core. That's like that's the bible of training. Um, I give a little two page sheet. Uh, to all my clients when we start training and it gives a lot of the basic terms and information and you bet I quiz my clients <laughs> got to be able to know the info but I'm gonna I'm gonna let them off the hook since they were so graciously my first guests on my podcast uh, we'll, we'll give them a little leeway today um, but again I'm, I'm so happy to hear you guys had such great success and um, we will continue to have great success and I look forward to working with you guys more in the future yes awesome mm-hmm. thank you guys for coming on today thank you
our Q&A section. Now hopefully in time, this will evolve more into a listener Q&A, but for now, I've prepared some of the most common questions I get from my clients, and I'm going to answer them. First question, what kind of collar and leash should I be using for my dog? Short answer, you should be using a martingale collar and a six-foot cloth leash. Keep it simple. Next question, if my dog is wagging his tail, doesn't that mean he's happy? Short answer, not necessarily. A tail wag can mean a dog is ready to bite you. A tail wag can mean a dog is ready to lick your face. It's important you don't focus on one aspect only of their body language, but that you read their body language from the tip of their nose all the way to the tail. Next question. Should I be taking my dog to the dog park? Short answer. I like to answer this with a few questions. First question for you is, do you feel like you have control over your dog? Do you have control over your dog? Does your dog come to you when you call them? Does your dog listen to you on a regular basis? If you can't answer yes to those four questions, then the answer to taking your dog to the dog park is absolutely not. going to wrap things up for the second podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. And of course, a very special thank you to Mark and Jess Grassi for joining me on the first guest spot. If you guys like what you hear, don't forget to click that subscribe button. And if you have any questions for our Q&A, be sure you email us at questions at speakadogcast.com. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out and walk your dog.